This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Our guest is writer Steve Etlinger, author of six books, whose fascination with everyday consumer products has led to his current work, Twinkie Deconstructed. And yes, by Twinkie we mean that mass-produced yellow snack food cake seen in convenience stores everywhere. They apparently sell 500 million Hostess Twinkies every year. And like other similar products, its ingredients are selected to be economical for the baker while promoting the ever-important shelf life. If you've ever perused the label of a commercial food product, you know that the list of ingredients is long and full of biochemistry. Steve Etlinger was doing exactly that one day with an ice cream bar when his daughter joined in to ask, Daddy, what is polysorbate 60? Thinking that was a fair question, Steve set out to investigate what ingredients we're eating in such products and where those items come from. Some of the answers will surprise you. I was surprised, despite taking courses in organic chem, biochem, food science, medicine, and working several summers for a canner where I held the title of condiment clerk. We're especially pleased to welcome Mr. Etlinger to KDVS, affiliated as we are with UC Davis, a university founded to provide science to the art of growing food. Steve Etlinger, welcome to Radio Parallax. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Can, uh, can we start with one of the, uh, the book's big surprises? Um, you, you subtitled it. My journey to discover how the ingredients found in processed foods are grown, mined, yes, mined, and manipulated into what America eats. Since you even inserted this double take in your title, I think we better start with foodstuffs that are mined, starting with the ingredients of baking powder. Yeah, I was blown away to find that the ingredients in baking powder, the, the ubiquitous little can of white powder you find on everybody's kitchen shelf, and which is the same, basically the same stuff they put in Twinkies for leavening, came from rocks. In fact, it comes from three different rocks, and uh, those are three out of the five that provide ingredients for Twinkies, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. I was able to go out and see them mined in Idaho and Wyoming. There's another place I didn't go in, in, in the Ozarks where the limestone comes from. But in the, uh, the, the best one was the Trona mine, which Trona is an ore that's found in a huge deposit in Green River, Wyoming. It's almost pure sodium carbonate, and uh, I found myself going down a mine shaft 1,600 feet down, which is the distance that's equal to the height of the world's tallest building. <laughs> then got into a Jeep and drove for half an hour. <laughs> it, was so, it was so big, and this is one of five mines there. And I saw them at the uh, face, the mine face, where they were scraping off this rock, which they then convey up to the surface for, for a, a small amount of processing. You talk about leavening, and I think people think of yeast as something that makes food rise, but uh, I was sort of intrigued to learn that this whole idea of using a powder, a non-yeast way of making stuff get bubbles in it, uh, is pretty new. New as in like a century and a half old. It is one of the very first consumer products, mass-produced, mass-marketed consumer products. When it came, when, when first baking soda and then later baking powder were the first things that people were able to buy in the can with labels and so forth. And that's why, in fact, the labels on baking powder are so old-fashioned that people grew attached to them and <laughs> haven't <laughs> changed in all these years. You know, the ones on Calumet and yeah. Rumford baking powder and so forth. It's really, uh, it's really uh, quite neat. In any case, the powder was a replacement, really, for yeast 
which wasn't the thing you needed in cake. You know, yeast is for bread, and it's a little unpredictable. You could have picked any commercial food to examine. You started looking at an ice cream label, but you decided to select the Twinkie. What made you settle on the Twinkie? You know, I had so many artificial ingredients to look at. I was trying to find a handle that would allow me to do a small number of them that made sense to readers and work, you know, that work for a book. And uh, while it's, it's almost got a plot now, because what I did was I, I found a, a well-known product with an ingredient list that had just the right number of ingredients to make a book at a chapter per ingredient, <laughs> which had a range of ingredients, as opposed to three ingredients or a whole lot of colorant or just vitamins or what have you. And I'll be darned if <clears throat> the Twinkie ingredient list didn't turn into the table of contents of Twinkie Deconstructed. It is. Well, it looks like you came up with 39 different ingredients to examine for the, in the course of the book. That's it, 39. It's <laughs> just uh, amazing. But you know what? <clears throat> they, they may all be chemicals, but so is all food. Uh, some of those chemicals are flour, <laughs> right. sugar, sure. water. <laughs> right. <laughs> that old hydro- dihydrogen oxide, that really gets you. Yes, it, yes, it does. Let, let's set a couple of urban legends about the lowly Twinkie. Um, first off, its primary ingredient is indeed wheat flour. They really are baked, and they really do have a finite shelf life. Yeah, it's 25 days, <laughs> but it's, it, is, it is a shelf life. And they, they do go stale, uh, not very fast, they don't spoil, but it's more because of sugar than because of the, uh, well, the sorbic acid does a good job. Sorbic acid, by the way, is the only preservative. It's the only preservative, and everyone seems to agree this is a very, very safe uh, thing to put into your food. It really is. It's safer than salt. Now, you have a food science um, uh, school at Davis, correct? We have quite a bit of food science that goes on here. Yes, we do. I'm sure some of the scientists there would have something to say about this. I'd love to talk to them. Well, I, I hope some of them will be listening. I'm sure some of them will be, and maybe we can put the two of you together because uh, just from my own personal reference, I would have loved if in the course of your book you'd put a, um, some appendices in the back that had some of the, the biochemical pathways. I think it would really, for those of us with a little bit of background, it would really make it interesting. You know, I wanted to do that, but the editors thought it would be, it would be too techy, too sciencey for the book, which they wanted to appeal to readers uh, for, uh, just as, a, as an interesting book to read and a helpful book for consumers. But I had to haul out my, uh, I had to dust off my high school chemistry to follow just, the, just to follow the story. For example, they'd say, um, someone I'm talking to would say, oh, well, we react the, you know, the fluorapatite with, uh, with Coke, and of course that makes blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and you can do the chemical equations for the most part fairly simply. Not always. Color, I ran into problems, and the vitamins, I just went nuts. But uh, for some of the others, some of the reactions were very common or very simple. Uh, others were, well, like calcium sulfate is gypsum. And it's just dug out of the ground, but it's the same stuff used to make plaster. Yes. But for plaster, they dehydrate it a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, there's a slight chemical, it's not really even a chemical equation, but there are chemi- chemical formulas there that are fascinating to follow. And, and I'm thinking I should do a, a, a magazine article that, that, that uh, you know, focuses on that. Well, Steve, I, ho- I hope that in edition number two, you do, you do, uh, you do put some of those um, some appendices in there. Yeah, well, that that would be neat. Um, I also thought of doing. Um, well, or, you know, originally you're gonna love this. I had to follow the chemicals and the reactions just to understand what was going on, and then overlay that with geography, where, yeah, and overlay that with the companies doing it, and overlay that with a schedule if I was going to travel to see this done. Yeah. And then try to coordinate it so it made sense, so that I could see unrelated products that happened to be in the same 
same area of the country. Right. Um, ultimately, you know what? That didn't work. Right. I just called people up and said, can I come see you? And I went. <laughs> you made mention of calcium sulfate uh, as being a food ingredient. And yes, it apparently goes back to antiquity being put into food. But it's also better known to, I think, people as plaster of Paris and, yep. what, and what they make sheetrock out of in all of our homes. Ver- versatile right. stuff. It's the same stuff. There's this one deposit that's so pure uh, that all they have to do is dig it up and grind it up for use in food. It's in South Third, Oklahoma. But the same deposit produces very clean wallboard. <laughs> well, you talked about vitamins a second ago, and, and their vitamins are in the news. As of you know, this week's headlines, Coke and Pepsi are going to come up with a new what they call sparkling beverage. They're going to vitamin fortify stuff. Uh, we think of vitamins as, as you know, associated with health. They're by law added to enriched flour, and, and, and yet vitamins apparently in many cases originate from Chinese petrochemical plants, partly because vitamin manufacture can be environmentally unfriendly. That's right. That, that was one of the more astounding things that I learned. Um, one vitamin is made in Europe now, for sure, and the people who make it invited me over. It's in a little valley in Switzerland. They would have loved to have me there. I, I, as it happened, I, I couldn't justify the trip because it's... You know, it would be a, a, several days of travel for a couple paragraphs. But um, they were wonderful. They make niacin. The other vitamins tend to be made now over in China. They used to be made here in Europe, but it, over the last few years, both the chemical companies and the, poli- and the political climate and the economic climate have all sort of converged to force the manufacturer to, other, to, to China, really, just because it's easier and less expensive to meet all the requirements uh, necessary. Now, ferrous sulfate is, is the only mineral in the mix. That's made here uh, <laughs> with a surprising process of dipping rolls of steel into big tubs, <laughs> you know, football field length, full of sulfuric acid. Not an auspicious beginning for something you eat, but there you go. Right. It's sort of a byproduct of, of, iron, of steel manufacture, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Well, when it comes to ingredient number one on that Twinkie label, bleached flour, we should point out we're indeed, we're talking about chlorine bleach, the same stuff that whitens your underwear when you launder them. And uh, this is something, um, I guess, in the late 1800s, they found a faster way to bleach flour. Flour naturally bleaches when it sits. It oxidizes and becomes whiter, but they, that was too slow. That's right. And this this uh, bleaching process takes, it's instantaneous. The... Uh Chlorine going in is, of course, poisonous, but it Im- immediately reacts. And you, uh, you know your chemistry. It reacts uh, very quickly to, to form a little uh, hydrochloric acid with the moisture in the uh, flour. And I suppose other things. I don't know the full chemical reaction, but it doesn't. It, it becomes benign very quickly. And uh, it helps destroy the protein to the extent that it makes for better uh, cake flour. And certainly you can have bread flour that's bleached, but many people bake bread without bleached flour because they want the strong protein, so they get a really strong, tough, dense loaf. Well, I do want to note when I was comparing some of the labels of things down the grocery store that uh, when they make the Fig Newton, they don't bleach the flour, but they do when they make the Twinkie. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Um, Twinkie Deconstructed has quite a few surprises. One that I think is going to really um, wake a lot of people up is the fact that flour mills are at risk of explosion. If you have suspended flour dust or other uh, a carbohydrate dust, you can ignite it with a spark or a flame. I don't think people realize that. It's really amazing, but every now and then you'll hear of silos in the countryside blowing up. That, that's why. But I was surprised that they had to be so careful in the flour mill. A lot of reverse uh, ventil- 
ventilation, uh, negative air pressure, sealed doors, and a policy of not repairing machinery until everything's shut down. We're speaking with Steve Etlinger, author of Twinkie Deconstructed, uh, which tells you maybe more than you even want to know about what goes into some of our processed foods. I think everybody knows, Steve, that oil and water don't mix. In cooking, they have to kind of be coaxed to do so. Can you talk a bit how, how this is done by the home chef versus the commercial baker? Because a lot of the ingredients that you examined are related to what's called emulsification. Right. When you make a cake at home, chances are you're going to have egg yolk, maybe even egg white, maybe a whole egg, but definitely egg yolk in the cake. It's a great emulsifier. If you've ever made mayonnaise, you know you can absorb, what is it, a zillion times? I think the technical term is a zillion times its weight <laughs> in oil. It is such a great emulsifier. It'll hold things together. When you eliminate fresh eggs from the mix, from the recipe, in order to extend that shelf life, as they have done with Twinkies, then you need something else to emulsify. And that emulsifier also, or, or that emulsification, also needs to help with forming bubbles in the batter, which, let's face it, undergoes a lot more stress than the batter you make at home. It is mixed quickly, it doesn't have time to set up, and it's cooked quickly. So they usually bring in a team of emulsifiers, mono and diglycerides, which are the main emulsifiers in milk, polysorbate 60, which is a real workhorse, and sodium stereolactylate, which I love saying, and the three work together to emulsify as best they can. I might add, in the cream filling, you not only have to have an emulsifier, but you add something that, that acts like an emulsifier, it adds a fat feel to the uh, non-green cream filling, and that is cellulose gum, which is sort of a gelatinous uh, thing. Once it's, it's powder, but when it's moistened, it makes a big gelatinous blob. And that, that helps make that cream filling taste like it's actually got a cream in it when it doesn't. And I think we could basically, maybe the best way to describe what, what cellulose gum is, it's, it's basically a form of paper, wouldn't you say? Sort of. It, it's processed in the same place that makes, uh, paper, that make, makes paper, but um, it also comes from... The linters, the part of a cotton ball that are sort of next to the seeds. And uh, when the cotton seeds are pulled out at, at the gin, the linters are separated out, and those are 100% cellulose. It's, it's a major, major source of cellulose. I, you know, I, I tend, I, I'm sure you do too, you tend to think of cotton as, as a, a thing, not a food. Right. But in fact, you forget, you know, cotton seed oil, we use that, you can buy that in the grocery store. Oh, sure, store. yeah. It's a vegetable. And trees, uh, yeah, <laughs> trees are vegetables. And we should point to, that's why the, 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 the cream in Twinkie is spelled E-M-E, not E-A-M. <laughs> right, I have a subhead that says there's no cream in the cream. <laughs> One real surprising thing from Twinkie Deconstructed, which I didn't give too much thought to, is the fact that uh, some of the ingredients that are used in commercial products are used in very tiny amounts. They mix them in just a little bit to a large batch which does make them the perfect vehicles to use if some terrorist wanted to poison people. So actually, this is kind of a, a homeland security issue, and I guess there was some restrictions on, on your research in this regard. Oh, absolutely. A number of companies, especially the big flavor companies, said, look, a few years ago, when, when I asked them if I could come visit, a few years ago we might have said yes, but since 9-11, forget about it. Uh, now, they're pretty competitive, so I think it suits them not to have visitors. Exactly, and, yeah. You know, a lot of businesses don't want to be bothered, which is legit. Yeah. But where it got funny was, I was at, in, visiting a dairy plant in the middle of Wisconsin dairy country, surrounded by beautiful bucolic green fields and and contented cows, in a brand new plant with it, looked, it was a big plant, but it looked like it had ten people running it. 
And uh, yet I had to wear a bright red lab coat and a red hard hat to distinguish me as a potentially dangerous guest <laughs> because of Homeland Security rules. Wow. Maybe it was just because I'm from New York. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> not, not surprisingly, sweeteners uh, uh, come up uh, in, in the matter of, of a Twinkie. You talked about sh- uh, sugar early on, and I was rather astounded to learn from your book that no sooner had the New World been discovered than European powers had like 3,000 sugar mills in the New World by 1550. That, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yes, yeah, sugar really spurred the development of the Americas and the Caribbean completely. And then, and then uh, the British blockaded the French supply of sugar when they were fighting Napoleon. And uh, so Napoleon is really responsible for people turning to beets for sugar and developing ways, ultimately, of, of finding, uh, developing corn syrup. And, uh, and, and corn sweeteners, of course, hugely important. We can probably do a whole show on those alone. But I was curious, noting on the label, they list dextrose and glucose in the labeling, and, and they're the same thing, which, which is why these labels can get even more confusing than they already oh, are. Oh, I'm so glad you, you know. It's, it's so much fun to talk to you because you know this stuff. That drove me crazy. And, and the, 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 on several levels, there was no way you could find out what people were, were really meaning. For example, I might call a plant a corn syrup plant, but they might call it a dextrose plant and the, they pump really dense corn syrup somewhere, they might call it dextrose because it's all dextrose. In Europe, that would be called glucose. Mm-hmm. In, in Europe, they might call any corn syrup glucose. In uh, the U.S., they might call glucose the powder, uh, dextrose the powdered form and glucose the liquid form. There is a technical difference, but they're, you know, they're usually interchangeable. Perhaps it's, it doesn't matter to most people. And I never could get it straight, um, partly because the people I was dealing with didn't care, and what I ultimately found out was that they probably have both on the label, uh, because both are common terms. However, (laughs) I did have to just sort of uh, eventually uh, accept that um, the dextrose was the term used for solid or the powdered or dried uh, version. Well, for people in, in medicine, when you see a dextrose solution like D5, uh, whatever, um, I had an argument once with a, with a doctor friend of mine. He said, you know, it's, a, it's just glucose. He said, no, it isn't. I said, yes, it is, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it is. All right. Dextrose in Europe is sold as a granular, you know, ultrafine white powder. I actually bought a box of it here, uh-huh. and it's labeled glucose. Sure, sure. Well, salt is about as basic as, as a food comes, um, but I think a lot of listeners will be surprised to note that, that um, by no means does most salt come from plants like the one we have nearby here in Newark, California, near the Dumbarton Bridge, San Francisco Bay Area. You, in fact, visited a facility in upstate New York that pumps water into the ground and pumps brine back out. Right. It's, it's, it's an old-fashioned technique. It's the same as used for oil, uh, actually. And um, it was fascinating to me to go to a, a beautiful field next to or between dairy farms to a little little hut really and inside I'd find some a Christmas tree of plumbing on which there was a spigot that was covered with salt crystals I tasted some boy that was salty <laughs> um, and then the plant which I visited was very old it's like 100 years old and or more and um, they basically spend all their effort drying it but drying it in such a way that it comes out with crystals that are just right it's also where they make the little blue containers that uh, I really got a kick out of seeing that. Yeah, I, I read one somewhere that uh, pretzel salt, they mine that because the crystals are flatter than the little tiny cubes we're used to, and that, that allows them yes. to stick onto pretzels better. 
Well, I think the biggest laugh I got from Twinkie Deconstructed, and that would come after uh, your mention in the intro of an executive with the title of Vice President of Cake. You have to yeah. like that. Yeah, when I first called Hostess hoping to get a tour of a plant, they put me under the Vice President of Cake. That's got to be the best title in the world. That's what I want to be when I grow up. But, but even, even better than that from the book was the refusal of tech support at one company you inquired with to admit that it makes polysorbate 60. They would sort of, you noted it was kind of like a craft, neither confirming nor denying that it makes cheese. There's so much merging and reorganizing going on in the food chemistry business and the chemistry business in general, that from one day to the next, these companies you know, weren't quite sure what they were doing. And, and the people would go to work each day in the same place, and the plants would be there, but they changed names. Uh, that, that was probably the oddest thing I, I, I ran up to. I'd been past the guy because, you know, you ask, uh, can I talk to someone about polysorbate 60? And they'd say, yeah, talk to him. <laughs> wow. Well, I think the, the final thing to talk about today, you spend some time on artificial and natural flavors, which is, which is again, you could t- we could do a whole hour on that, I'm sure, if we, we set aside to. But the artificial butter flavor that comes in Twinkies or in, also in the case of movie theater popcorn is made in Chinese petrochemical plants, which I guess we get, by the time you're done with the book, you sort of are used to that. But the great irony uh, you noted in the book was that its containers are labeled harmful if swallowed. <laughs> just, just amazing. Well, the, the um, diacetyl is so strong. It's a natural uh, flavor, it, but it works in, in concentrations in, well, you'd appreciate this being in California, Chardonnay's buttery smoothness uh, linked with di- diacetyl. It's 50 parts per billion in Chardonnay. So you can imagine if you got it concentrated how, how strong it would be. Well, I guess that is the difference between like a poison and a useful substance. A lot of times it's all in the dosing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just think about uh, salt, for example. You know, you couldn't eat a pound of salt and, you know, it would kill you, but you can't live without it either. And I get a kick out of the, the, uh, the dosing for like ferrous sulfate, which is a, in the mineral salt supplement. You, you buy at the pharmacy if you want. But if you go out and buy moss killer for your patio, to spray on your patio, chances are it'll be ferrous sulfate. <laughs> The book is Twinkie Deconstructed, My Journey to Discover How the Ingredients Found in Processed Foods Are Grown, Mined, Yes, Mined, and Manipulated into What America Eats. And I think even if you're someone who hates Twinkies as much as I do, uh, you'll find this to be a very interesting read. Oh, I I sure hope so. By the way, there's some more information on the website, TwinkieDeconstructed.com, including the table of contents, which, as I said, is the the ingredient list on Twinkies, and, and an index, some excerpts, and some pictures. Well, Steve Etlinger, we thank you very much for speaking with us about what it is we're eating and hope that, uh, that yeah, we can put together uh, you and some, some food science people here at UCD. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All righty. Uh, Doug, we got Mitch McConnell on line one. Senator McConnell? I believe so. Uh, is this Senator Mitch McConnell? Oh, yes, it is, Doug. It is, it is indeed Senator Mitch McConnell of the GOP party. How are you doing today? Uh, well, we're doing fine, sir. What To what do we owe the honor of your calling us? Well, I understand that you're talking to this fellow, this Harper fellow, you know, and I, and I just had to sort of chime in uh, and give my two cents after, uh, you know, everyone's talking to me about the election and things, and I thought maybe you, know, you might appreciate it, of all people. Well, sure. We're glad to have you. He, uh, Mr. Harper was speculating that you, you must be very angry at, at Donald Trump. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I mean, I, quite the contrary, Doug. I, 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 there's, no, there's no animosity between, uh, between uh, Donald Trump and myself. Is that so? Uh, well, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true statement. And I, I, I have to give my 100% uh, 
uh, vote of true correct. Well, Senator, it appears that uh, that because of the election uh, reversal, you will not be the Senate Majority Leader of the next term. Okay, look, I, I am a little bit upset. Uh, majority Leader of the Senate is all I've ever aspired to, Doug. I just want you to know you. Yeah. I never, you, you don't see yeah. Mitch McConnell for president banners, you know, in museums or anything. No, you certainly don't. So, you know, I, I've said this many times to my wife. Look, I know what I want. I want to be Majority Leader, and... Unfortunately, it's not going to not to be in 2022. I guess you'll be the minority leader yes, in the that, U.S. That is actually, um, unfortunately, the case. I'll be the, at least I'll, I'll still be a leader. I'll be the, the minority leader. And that's the most important part of the, the phrase is leader. Senator, I'm a little bit skeptical about the fact that you, you, you harbor no animosity to the former president. I mean, after all, a few months ago, he was disparaging you and it was disparaging your wife. He called her, uh, I believe, Coco Chow at one point. Uh, yeah, yeah, he, he 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 did. Well, her name is Elaine Chow. She was his secretary of labor. That's certainly very disrespectful. Yeah, I would have to agree. Yes, yeah, so it is a little bit. Yes, it is. Well, how about the fact that he uh, he's he's calling for your ouster from from Senate leadership positions? That that must have you a little angry. Yes, 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 yes. He did, and, and I have to admit that 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 did get under my claw a little bit. Uh, I, yes, you, you are correct in that. And he, he said you have a death wish in the wake of your. In- All right, look. Doug, I, I had enough of this. Look, I'm I'm sick of that Trump guy, okay? You want me to say it? All right, I'll say it. All right, I, I'm tired of that guy. Look, Doug, uh, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, he, you know. remember the Bible? It says he with those is the first stone, you know, all that stuff. But look, the, the point is I'm going to be minority leader, and, and Elaine likes that, and, you know, that it's all water under the bridge, Doug. All right. Well, I'm I'm a little surprised to hear this, but I, in a way, I guess I, I guess it's good. I, it's certainly good for the Republican Party. Yes, yes. It's all about unity, Doug. That's the big watchword now. Is a unity. We're going to rally together, try and do better in 2024, and hopefully the red wave was just a little bit delayed. You know, and it'll, it'll, I'll be back majority leader hopefully by 2024, and with or without you know who. Maybe you will. What does a minority leader do anyway? By the way, Coco Chow. That really was not very nice, was it? Well, I, well, we didn't think so. No, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, I, you know, I've heard of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but Coco Chow, what the hell is that all about? Now, Senator, maybe you can confirm the rumor we heard that during cabinet meetings, he actually referred to your wife as Chow Main on more than one occasion. Look, just because, you know, his elevator doesn't go, quite go to the top floor, you know, maybe one of his wheels is stuck in the sand, you know, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Uh-huh. And like we say in Kentucky, you know, Sometimes you just got to know when to hold them, when to follow them. And right now, you just got to come together as a group. And that's what we're doing right now as a GOP party, coming together as a group. All yeah. right. All right. Well, there's one, there was one Senate race uh, let, yet to be determined in, in Georgia, Warnock versus Herschel Walker. Do you have any, any, uh, any, any, any opinion to weigh in on that? Yes, indeed. Well, we're still hoping, very hopeful, of course, that Herschel's going to pull it out in. And look, uh, we're, we're very proud of him. And of course, we'll be happy to welcome him in the Senate if he should win. Let me just say, you know, if he is going to win, and we hope he will, he will be the best running back we've ever had in the Senate. I mean, there's no question about that. Try to argue with that. Quite an achievement. That's quite an accomplishment. In fact, let me just say that the secretive annual Senate versus House flag football game will never be the same. I mean, we're going to win every time now. Come on. There's, there's no way. Sure. Who's in the backfield now? Well, it used to be Rand Paul, and you can imagine what a sorry ass backfield that was. But now we're going to have Herschel Walker. There's no way we're going to lose. So, I mean, come on. So, for that reason alone, we're encouraging everybody in Georgia to get out there and vote. We're never going to lose a black ball game again. There's no question. And Rand Paul can go suck it. He can go sit on the sidelines as far as I'm concerned.
Oh, Doug, I enjoy talking to you immensely, but I really have to go. I'm, I'm watching the turns come in, yeah. Senator, we certainly appreciate your speaking with us. Maybe you can come back after we see what happens down in Georgia and maybe we'll be able to get Herschel Walker in the backfield. Absolutely. I can't wait for that. It's always a pleasure, Doug. Take care. All righty. As far as we know, that was Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the current and future Senate Minority Leader. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more. Stick around. <laughs> 